Well, good morning, church. We are in a new season, aren't we? We know that something is happening. It happens every year. Our society is actually in the midst of what? Preparing for Christmas, aren't they? Okay, good. You, you are alive. You are here. Yeah. I thought I was just preaching to an empty room for a moment. Okay, there we go. Yes, we are almost ready for Christmas. How do we know that? Christmas sales, haven't we? You know, Christmas sales are there. Fairy lights are going up. Constant barrage of buy this. It's on sale and it will make it happen. You get the different kinds of Christmas ads, the, the turkey, the, the ham ads and the tadakan. Has anybody ever had a tadakan? There you go. And it has, a few people have. You'll have to ask them what it's all about. There you go. But you name it. There's a constant pressure on us that makes, you know, to make us think that we need to be making Christmas in a particular way. The TV, the ads, all those things are bombarding us about thinking what Christmas is actually meant to be. I want to tell you something. I'm going to let you in on a little secret in my life. I have immense mixed feelings around Christmas time. I don't know about you, but I have mixed feelings. One part of me loves this time of year. You know, we've already put up some fairy lights around the house, haven't we? We have. We've got them in the trees out there. That's going up. And, you know, we've got at least part of a Christmas tree up. That went up last night, so it was good. So, um, but, you know, we're kind of getting there. It's, it's, it's times of excitement, times of um, all the things that are happening in there. And I love the time within our church year and organising all those things. We do special things. We've got carols, all those kind of things. But, but on the other side, I find it challenging and difficult because of that commercialization of Christmas. How, because of that, we've lost meaning. We've lost meaning about so many things, you know, and, and I got called a Grinch the other night because um, <laughs> funny about that. Um, because it, was, it was actually, for many years, our kids were given a chocolate Christmas advent calendar. Anybody ever had those? Who loves those things? You know, I like the chocolate. I love chocolate. And, and, I, you know, and um, the question was asked on Friday night, do, do we need to have advent calendars this year? And I said, no, you don't need them. Uh, that was pretty harsh, wasn't it? No, you don't need well, You might want them, but you don't need them. The thing I don't like about this is that, you know, when you go through them, and, and, unless you buy the, you know, um, the, and, and they're very hard to find, you go through them and you've got all these different things, you know, chocolates and pictures and images and, and so counting down the days till Christmas comes and what happens, you don't unwrap a manger. Generally, that final chocolate is what? Santa. There's this whole notion of it about giving and Santa and a man in a red suit and all these things. You know, I have mixed feelings about that. And the reason I have mixed feelings about this is that the saddest thing about Christmas for me is there are so many people that miss the meaning of it, that don't get, get the meaning that it is about Christ and the birth of Christ. They never actually experience the fulfilment of, of God's promises on their lives. They're just looking for the latest gadget, the newest toy, what I can have. 
So I have mixed feelings about Christmas. I love the, what we have, the story. I love the fact that we have the Christ child come into the world so that we might have eternal life and connection back with God. But on the other hand, I find it so hard that it is about buying stuff. So I said, I have mixed feelings about Christmas. So if I seem grumpy and give a harsh answer, it's because we may not need it. But on the other hand, I might think that it's a great thing to have a bit of celebration. So what we're going to do as a church uh, coming up to Christmas is we're actually going to explore the promises that are up on, that are revolving around Christmas. And the first of these promises, so we're going to explore hope and peace and joy and love. The promise of hope, the promise of peace, the promise of joy and the promise of love. And we're going to explore all of these. And this week we are going to be focusing on the promise of hope. See, Christmas time is a time to remember the hope that comes from Jesus. Uh, it's in remembering that hope that is found in Jesus. Um, and what I want to do is actually explore three things, three different perspectives, three different understandings around this, this promise of hope. We're going to explore it from the promise that is, that is in past, that was promised and fulfilled. So we're going to explore the promise that is past, that is promised, fulfilled. We're going to explore the promise of hope in the present, and we're going to explore the promise of hope in the future. So we're going to do those three things today. So let's jump into the first one, which is the hope is promised and fulfilled. Now I'm going to share with you a, a, a promise of the Messiah that is found in Isaiah 61. And, and, it's, and we actually find the fulfilment in Luke's gospel. So I'm going to share both of those with you in just a moment. And it's actually a promise of the grace of God um, for the world, the grace of God for the world. And, and in this promise, um, Isaiah is proclaiming that the hope for the future, for the release of the Jews from captivity in Babylon, will be made complete. But then we find in Luke's gospel, Jesus claims this same promise of the hope for the future and the release of the captives for all of the world. And it's made complete for the Israelites in their own captivity and made complete in himself. So let's go to the Bible. We're going to Isaiah 61, verse 1, and we'll put it on the screen. But if you want to follow in your Bibles, um, please do so. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That is hope, isn't it? Good news to the poor, there's hope for that. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is a promise of hope coming in and we are looking back at that time. So it's a present hope for when, that, when they originally wrote that, the promise that God is going to provide in the future there, present and future. But for us, we are looking back and we see this promise and we see the fulfilment of this that comes in Luke's gospel, Luke's chapter 4, verses 16 through to 21. I'll just share it with you. It'll be on the screen as well. And this is, this is Jesus really just coming into the first part of his ministry, and, and he's coming into the town. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. And as was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So he, he did that. And then the customer would then, you would go on and explain the passage. And what Jesus then went and did, he said, and then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying there that he is that fulfillment of that promise of the release of captives, the release of the poor, the good news to the poor, the proclaiming of the freedom, the recovery of the sight of the blind. It is fulfilled in Christ himself, in Jesus himself in there. So we know when we look back, and the reason why I'm exploring going back and looking at the prophecy and the fulfilment is that it's important for us to actually understand when we are thinking about the hope for the future, we have it founded in something that we know that we can trust. We have hope for the future. We have hope for the present because we trust in God and what he has done. God has fulfilled the prophecy and the promise of bringing that through Christ. So when we think about the hope in the present, not only can we look back, but we can find that we can see and find hope that is proclaimed here and fulfilled now, but we can also live out that hope in our lives. I hope that God is moving in our lives. I hope that God is changing our life. I hope that God is working in our midst in the world around us. See, this hope is not misplaced. It is rooted in, it's not rooted in wishful thinking. It's actually founded upon the saving actions of Jesus. John Piper said this, and he said, Christian hope is a spirit-given virtue enabling us to joyfully expect what God has promised through Christ Jesus. Let me repeat that for you. Christian hope is a spirit-given virtue. So Christian hope is a spirit-given virtue, hold that, spirit-given virtue that enables us, so it gives us the power to do something, to joyfully expect. So we're going to joyfully expect what God has promised through Jesus Christ, that God is providing hope for us. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, I'll put it on the screen for you. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this, and this is where we have, we know that God has plans for us. We know that God has a future for us. We know that God has, we can hope on what God has done. And it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God has plans for each and every one of you. Not to pull you back, but for good. A plan for a future for a hope. So the hope that we have in our present is that God is with us. No matter what is happening in our lives, you know, you know this, this whole thing about being joyfully expecting what God is doing is not dependent upon our situation. Our hope now, our hope in the present, our hope in the future is not dependent on our own situation and on the circumstances that are happening around us. Our hope is founded upon Christ and what Christ has already done. Our hope is founded on a baby that was born all those years ago, that grew up like us, that taught, gave miracles, and died on a cross, and rose again in three days, that we may have life eternal. 
God is still working for us. God is still working in our midst. God is still working in you and changing you. He has a plans for you, plans for your future, plans for your hope that is founded in Christ only. So if we think about the third thing, hope for the future, our eternal hope. So we've had our Bible reading. We had our Bible reading just before here, and we're going to share back into that. Now, you might wonder, why, why, why are we reading this passage when it comes to Christmas time? Why are we reading about like end time prophecies kind of things? We're going to be looking at Mark 13, verses 24 to 37, and it's part of, part of this promise of the future hope that, that we have of Jesus that will be coming back, Jesus returning, coming back into the world. And, and this actually, you know, when, when we have a look at Christmas time, we often have a look at what's known as the lectionary. There's a set of readings that are put down. They have an Old Testament reading, a psalm reading, a, a gospel reading, and a, um, an epistle reading, one of the letters readings. And, and they, they, they're set down throughout the, each of the weeks um, over the year. And in, in Advent, which is the four weekends before Easter, plus, not Easter, Christmas, plus Christmas, we, we explore the different themes coming into Christmas. And it's the beginning of the church year. So we've just started a new year. Happy New Year to everybody. Um, but we, we, we're kind of here and we're exploring this. And the reading for the gospel was this reading. It was Mark 13, 24 to 37. It might not be looking like, oh, are we proclaiming the baby Jesus? Are we proclaiming the Messiah? We're proclaiming the Christ returned. It's a future hope. It's a hope for the future where we're going. We know that we can be certain that God is going to return and judge all of the world. So what I'm going to do is we're going to put back up our reading and we're going to explore that through. Let me just read it again for you. And at that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. So we... We're picturing a time, and it's a time, it's poetic and prophetic language that is, is, is giving you an image of the end, the end of all things. The stars aren't shining, the sun's not shining, the moon's not there, the stars have gone away. It's darkness, there's the end. It's prophetic language helping you. Then everyone will see the Son of Man, and that's the name that Jesus gives for himself. The Son of Man, Jesus, coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels to gather his chosen one from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the heavens and the earth. So we can see the end time when all, everything is finished. And you've got to keep in mind this is all this prophetic language looking there. That Jesus is going to return again and he's going to return and come with great power and glory. He's going to gather those close to him. And this is where we really need to be thinking for ourselves, have we taken Jesus as our Lord and Saviour? The ones who he's calling to come close and be with him from everywhere on the world. Bring them in. Then it goes on to say, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. So it's this whole language that Jesus is going to become in Paramite, and then he gives this lesson around how we should be waiting and ready. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. 
In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Now, we, we, we can kind of delve into this and, and have a look. Is it, as you're talking about the generation there, as you're talking about our generation, we, we look for signs that the world is falling, the signs that things are dark, and we know that, that the end time is near. Part of it, the language, and as we, we start to explore this and think about this, is that so often we, we think, okay, have you ever, no, actually, we, let me wind that back. Let me ask you a question. How, what kind of person are you? Are you a person that loves to be well prepared for things? Annette's nodding because I know she is. That's okay. Or are you more like me, fly by the seat of your pants and hope it gets done by the end of everything? I, I do love being organised as well. You know, part of me loves to get organised and make all that happen. But part of me is really spontaneous and let just see, you know, it is like a sliding scale exactly, yeah. It's, but for some people, they, they you know, and, and here's the thing. If you are going to wait for the last minute to give your life to Christ because you want to party on, you want to do all those kind of things, you just want to live your life, you're not looking for any of the end time signs, you just, life is good... Jesus is saying, look for the signs because you need to do some preparation. Look for the signs and know that Christ is coming. Place your trust in one and only Jesus. So he's actually saying to you, not just to put off. Don't put off, put aside because I can't see it. Be ready and be ready for it because you know the time is coming. Then it goes on, then he goes on. However, no one knows the day or hour. So he goes, even though you may be seeing the signs or that, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. He's saying, not even me. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know what time will come, be on guard, stay alert, be ready. The coming of the Son of Man will be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And when he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. So when we think about this, when we explore this for ourselves about seeing the hope for the future and what we need to be doing, what are we doing here? God's given us work to do. God's given us a task to do. God's given us something to explore and move into. So do that task. You must keep watch. You must be ready. You must be doing your task. For you don't know when the master of the household will return. Now this works for the world but for your personal life as well. We don't know why our days are numbered, however long or short that may be. We don't know that. But be ready. For you don't know when the master of the household will return in the evening at midnight before dawn or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. Be ready. So the focus here is that when we have hope, we have hope in the second coming of Christ, that hope that Jesus will actually come, hope that's looking towards the future but is grounded in today. Even though when we look for Christ and his return, it is grounded here and now in our present reality in the midst of what we do about our coming to faith in Christ, but also the work that we do, the things that we do.
So let's wrap it up here. We have the ability here for us, each and every one of us. If we've claimed Christ in our lives, we have this ability to bear the hope of the future promise of Christ's return. Bearing that hope of the future promise of Christ's return, that is something that we can do. Because we can bear that hope because we know for assurance that we have salvation through Christ already. That's how we can be assured of that. We have salvation through Christ already because of what Christ has done. And so we can live our life in assurance that Christ has saved us. We can live our life and help others to find that same hope for their future as well. Maybe what we should do right now, and I'm going to leave you with a question to finish up with. It's an active question. What thing are you going to do that will share, bring hope to the people that you are going to meet this week? So when we say we bear the hope of the future of Christ in our life, we bear the hope that Christ will return and judge the living and the dead, those who have said yes and no, what are we going to do to share that hope that we have that we've already been saved? We bear that hope. We can share that hope. We can do it practically by sharing in, in physical things for those that are in need to... We, we can share in, in practical things by advocating for, for peace in our world. We can share in practical things by, by releasing and helping release those who have been improperly held captive. You know, there are things that we can do this time. And we can share in the hope by sharing our faith with those who are yet to believe. Let's just pray together.